Have you ever built a fence? Probably lots of folks here have, at one time or another, made a fence of some kind. Fences are very common, and we have them for a reason. We make fences to protect things that are valuable and important to us. Maybe you've got animals. Uh, you may have cows. Some folks here have cows. You build fences to keep your cows in, to keep other things out. You may have a dog, and you make a dog pen so that your dog stays safe from any dangers and so forth. Uh, or maybe you put a fence around uh, some plants. Maybe you've got a garden, and you don't want critters to get in your garden, and so you build a fence to try and keep them out so they won't eat up everything that you're growing in your garden. Or uh, maybe you build a fence just to protect your privacy. You know, we talk about that. A privacy fence to protect or guard your privacy. That's valuable. Privacy is, is valuable at times, and sometimes we want a fence to protect our privacy. Fences are a lot of work. I want to tell you something about it. If you've ever done much fencing, making fences is a lot of work, but valuable things need protected, and so we make fences. Well, our lesson today has to do with God. God makes fences too, and he does it for the same reason that we do. You make fences to protect valuable things. That's what we do. That's what God does. God makes fences to protect valuable things, and we want to talk about that in our lesson this morning. Before we get to that lesson, we stop here for just a moment to thank everyone for being here. We've got a beautiful Lord's Day and a great privilege to join together in worship. Thanks for choosing to be a part of that. We understand it's a choice on your part to come and to worship, to study from God's Word, to sing songs of praise, to pray and study. It's, it's, it's a choice, and there are plenty of other choices, and there are a number of other things you could have chosen to do. Your choice to be here today is commendable. We're glad for it. You're an encouragement to us, and we hope everyone is an encouragement to you as well. Uh, thanks for being here to be a part of it. We have visitors today. We're grateful for our visitors. Come again whenever you can and ask whatever questions you may have. Let's talk about God building fences. And the text that we want to consider and base our lesson on is the one that Logan read for us earlier from Job chapter 1. It says, The Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him? Several things are obvious in this text, and we could stop and comment and probably build a whole lesson and more on, on the simple statement there. But one of the things that's impressive to me is that God was aware of Job's faithfulness. It's clear that God understood that Job was a really faithful man. Uh, and, and he references that. Have you considered my servant Job? And he talks about him. He's a, he's a, uh, a perfect and upright man. He fears God. He excuse evil. God knew Job. The second thing, though, that's obvious is that Satan knew Job, too. And it was really apparently bugging Satan, as we would say. It was a real bother to him that Job was such a good man. That really troubled Satan. Satan wanted to get at him, and he just had not been successful in getting at him. Satan complained. What he complained about was, God, you made a hedge about him. Have you not made a hedge about him? Now, you understand hedges. We... They used hedges like we use fences. That's why I was talking about fences earlier. They would build a hedge, and they would plant a hedge, and they would let it grow up, and they'd keep it trimmed so that a natural plant hedge around a field would serve as a fence or a protection. And so 
here where Satan says, Hast thou not made a hedge about him? We'd probably say, Haven't you built a fence around him? Basically, Satan was complaining, I, I can't get at him because you've built this protection around him and I can't get through it. Well, uh, the story goes on and uh, the whole episode with Job is such an interesting study in itself, but we want to stop right here to build our lesson upon the idea that God had built a hedge around Satan. Satan said, Hast not thou made a hedge about him? And God didn't deny it. Basically, God acknowledges, Yes, I have. I've built a fence around him. I've built a fence around him to protect him. I want to suggest to you that God does that. That God does protect his people. That he builds hedges around us just as well as Job. He builds hedges around us. The first thing that I'd want to point out about this whole story is a very obvious one, just to simply repeat and emphasize that God knows his own people. God is aware of those who serve him faithfully. Is that not a comforting thing to you? To know that if you're trying to serve God, God knows you, he's aware of you, he, he, he recognizes your life and what you are doing. Can you imagine that? That is just almost unfathomable to me to imagine that the God of all creation the one who had the power to create all of these things, and he's been dealing with mankind for thousands of years, and here I am. I'm so insignificant in the grand picture of things, and yet God still knows me. He's aware of my life. He, he, he understands what's going on. What if you had an occasion to be in the company of the President of the United States? It just happened that you were invited to such and such a place where President Trump is going to be, and he walks into the room and he says, there you are. There you are. Caleb Tidwell, how are you doing today? Would that shock you if the President of the United States called you out by name? He knew you? He, had, he recognized you? That'd be shocking. We'd, we'd be overwhelmed. I tell you, that's not nearly as significant as the idea that God knows us. That he's aware of our lives. He recognizes us and everything that's going on in our life. God knows us. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Paul was sure of that. Paul spoke with great confidence. It's interesting to remember the context in which Paul made that statement. Paul was a prisoner in Rome. We think 2 Timothy is the last epistle that he wrote. And in fact, in that epistle, in the last chapter of that epistle, he speaks of anticipating his execution. So here Paul is as a prisoner, probably about to be executed for his faith in God and Christ, and yet he says, the Lord knows them that are his. Paul's faith in that had not been shaken. His confidence was certain. And we need to have that confidence too. God knows us. God knows his people. That's a wonderful, amazing thing. In Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. The same, same thing being said there. Here in, in, in Second Chronicles 16, the concept is if you are for him, he is for you. If you devote yourself to him, he knows you. He's aware. He's on your side. He works in your behalf. What an amazing thing that is. Jesus said in John 10, verse 14, we just recently studied this in our Sunday morning adult class here in the auditorium. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. 
and am known of mine. Jesus said, I know my sheep. I know who they are. Are you one of his? Have you devoted yourself to the Lord? Have you become a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? Are you serving him in your life? If those things are true, he knows you. I don't, I don't know what could be a more comforting concept than that, that the Lord knows those who are his own. So, in regards to Satan's question, hast not thou made a hedge about him? God said, yes, basically. He didn't say yes, but the implication is clear. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it is today, and God knows those who are his, who are his own. Now, in regard to God building hedges around us, I want to suggest to you that he's made some specific promises about that. One of those promises is that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to bear it. And I think most of you probably already know the verse that I'm going to, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, knows, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Uh, there's the promise. He will not allow it to be so. He will not suffer us to be tempted above that that ye are able to bear. A number of years ago, uh, my three boys and I, and along with some other Christians from East Tennessee, we, we, we made a, well, we actually made multiple trips, but I remember the first trip we made out to the high Rocky Mountains of Wyoming, and we, we backpacked in there. Uh, we backpacked way up, high elevation. We went for miles and miles up those steep mountain trails. I think Joel and Jacob might have been like 15 and 16, but Jared was only 12 when we took off for that trip. Uh, we're going to be up, we're going to be up in the mountains, far away from anything, for almost a week. Well, you've got to take a lot of food. <laughs> these these teenage boys are hungry. I mean, to tell you they and then and they're hiking, they get hungrier, and you've got to feed them. So we had to carry a lot of food. Uh, need to take dry clothes and tents and sleeping bags. and I mean, we had a lot of gear to take. And so I'm trying to figure out how much can these boys carry, you know. So I, I loaded Jacob and Joel down pretty good. My pack was real heavy. But Jared was just 12 years old. He can't carry me. I think my pack weighed close to 60 pounds and nearly killed me. But uh, I only put about 12 or 15 pounds on Jared because he's 12 years old. He's not able. You can't expect him to carry a 60-pound pack. That pack weighs half as much as he does or more. You can't expect that if he's not able. You can't put more on him than he's able. Any father would know that, right? Well, in that same sense, God knows us. As a loving Heavenly Father, He's not going to put more on us than we're able to bear. He promises that. And that's a great promise. Now, the question could be asked, how does He know? But how does He know? How does he know what I'm able to bear? How can he how can he comprehend that? How would he be aware of what I'm up to spiritually? Well, the way he knows is because he sent Jesus, and Jesus experienced our humanity. And Hebrews chapter four verse fifteen says, "We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin." That's how he knows. He knows. Well, we, we specifically have a high priest, Jesus who goes between for us and God, and he's fully aware because he suffered it. He experienced it. And he knows what we're able to bear because he is our perfect high priest. And so that's a great promise. And we really need to take a lot of, of consolation in knowing that God has promised. He's not going to allow us to be tempted above our ability. 
But the other part of that is he's going to provide a way of escape. Go back to that same verse again. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There's always a way out. That's what this verse is promising. God promised that. Now, God said that, and God promised that, therefore it must be true. It can't be a lie, and it can't be false. God said there's a way out. Uh, with the temptation, he'll make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Since that's true, then we are never going to be qualified to say, I couldn't help myself. Uh, yeah, I did it. I committed that sin, but I just I couldn't. It was impossible for me to avoid it. I had to. I, I, there was no way out. No, there's a way out. Because God promised that there is a way out. We might use the example of Joseph. and It's a well-known one in the Old Testament, Genesis 39. You remember, Joseph had been sold as a young man as a slave. His brothers, who hated and envied him and were so jealous of him, they sold him to them as a slave. He ended up in Egypt. He ended up in the house of a man named Potiphar. He, and it, it says there in Genesis chapter 37, beginning about verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me, but he refused. And so this woman suggested an, an illicit relationship with him and he said no. Now it's a very interesting text and there's great lessons to be learned from that whole study of Joseph there in verse 37. But she made, she made this proposal to him the first time, and he said no. But she wasn't done tempting him with that sin. In fact, it goes on to say, she spake to Joseph day by day, but he hearkened not unto her. And so it wasn't that he, she just came at him once and he said no, and it was over. She came at him, and again and again and again, day after day, she tempted him with this sin. Finally, it became so great. She caught him in the house one day when no one else was there, and the only way out, he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out, it says. Finally, the only way to get away from her, and this sin that she was proposing, was to actually run away from it. His escape route, the way out of this temptation, was to get out of there, to flee. And we hold Joseph up as a great hero of the faith in regards to his determination not to sin. And, and and we need to have that same commitment. And in fact, sometimes the way out is to simply flee, to get away from the sin, to avoid it at all costs, no matter what it is. Whatever it is that we have to give up to keep from sinning is a small sacrifice in comparison with our eternal salvation. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 29, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. For it is probable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is probable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. You know, Jesus was not teaching here self-mutilation, bodily mutilation. He wasn't teaching that, obviously. We've got to be smart enough to recognize that. Jesus was setting forth a principle. And the principle is simply, whatever it is, that has the potential to keep you from going to heaven, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Flee from it, like Joseph did from Potiphar's wife. Get rid of it. Cut it off. Pluck it out. What is it? What is it that has the potential to keep you from heaven? Is it the TV set? Is it movies you're watching? 
that are causing you to think thoughts that you shouldn't think, it'd be, it'd be better to throw your TV out than to let it cause you to go to hell. Is it the Internet? Are you looking at pornography on the Internet? Is all the illicit stuff that's on the Internet, is it keeping you from having a pure heart? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Matthew 5, verse 8 says. Is, is the Internet keeping you from having a pure heart? It'd be better to lose your Internet connection forever than to lose your soul forever. Disconnect from the Internet. If you can't control it, get rid of it. Is your smartphone keeping you from thinking pure thoughts? Lose the smartphone. You don't have to have that. Lose it. Get rid of it. Throw it away. It'd be better. Jesus said it'd be better. Look for the way of escape. That's what God promised there's a way of escape. Use it. You can get rid of that internet connection. You can throw away your smartphone. You don't have to live by that. If it's keeping you from being the kind of person that God wants you to be, look for the way of escape. He promised us then. It's not that hard to figure out. If I can't control myself on the internet, I need to lose the internet. Is it friends of the world who are drawing me away? Who are trying to keep me from being the person I ought to be? Is it evil associations with people in the world? Cut it off. Cut off those evil associations. I'm not strong enough to, to live right around those kind of people. Cut it off. I don't have to be with those particular people. If I can't be strong around them, then I need to not be around them. What's keeping me from being right with God? Pluck it out. Throw it away. Is it my job? Is it my hobbies and my recreation that keep me from serving faithfully like I... Get rid of it. What is it? Lose it. Lose it. Cut it off. Plug it out, Jesus said. God promised that He was going to provide a way of escape. He won't let you be tempted above that you're able. And He will provide a way of escape. But we've got to be willing to take that way of escape. He's, it's there. It's just a question of whether we're determined enough to, to use the escape route that God promised to give us. The escape route is there. Will you use it? How does this all happen? How, how does He keep us from being tempted above our ability to bear? How does He always provide an escape route? What's some of the mechanisms behind that promise? Because He gave us specific promises here. What are some of the mechanisms? Well, one of the things that He provides is His Word. His Word is so powerful and will help us in overcoming the temptations of life if we apply it, if we learn it and use it in our lives. Psalm 119, verse 11, trying to get the young kids to learn this lesson in our Bible drill class. It's not a hard verse to memorize, but it's an important concept. The, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We need to get strong in the Word of God. We need to apply it. We need to learn it first, and then we need to apply it. We need to study it. We need to read it regularly. But more than just casual reading of the Word of God, we need to really dig into it and understand it. We need to use every opportunity to be exposed to it. We're, we're now in this fall gospel meeting season, and almost every week we get announcements of gospel meetings in our area. Have you thought about going to a gospel meeting? You know, people don't go to gospel meetings like they used to. It wasn't that many years ago where people would go. Uh, and and it, was, it was a regular practice of Christians and, and families to make a trek, maybe drive an hour to another congregation somewhere and join with them in their gospel meeting effort. We don't do that much anymore. But that's an opportunity that we are wasting. If we're not using that opportunity, 
there's a chance to be exposed to more teaching, but also a chance to be around those other Christians, to encourage them, to be encouraged by them. We need to be strong in the Word. If we're strong in the Word, it will make us strong against sin. We're reminded of the example of Jesus. When he was tempted of Satan, we won't take time to read all of this, but you remember Satan tempted him three times, and every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus quoted Scripture. You know that text in Matthew chapter 4, begins in verse 3 and runs quite a ways down into the chapter. But I think the significant point of that is every time he was tempted, he didn't use miraculous power to resist sin. He didn't do something that we can't do. He just used Scripture. He quoted Scripture. And, that, and God's truth, His Word, was Jesus' resource to avoid temptation and sin. It will work that way for us too if we'll be strong in the Word. When Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders in his last visit with them in Acts chapter 20, and in the context of what Paul saw as real impending dangers for that church, there, was, there were dark clouds on the horizon for Ephesus. We talked about that in our study last Sunday night. Things were going to get bad in Ephesus. What did Paul encourage them to do? He says, Brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Acts 20, verse 32. He says, use the word. And so the word is a strong resource for us. Part of God's hedge that He builds around us. God hedges us in. He puts a fence around us. He will protect us if we'll let Him. But I want you to understand that God's not going to do that unilaterally. We have got to advantage ourselves of the fence or the hedge that God puts around us. He does that fence building in one part of the way he does it is by hearing our prayers. We talked earlier about God's intimate knowledge of us. He knows us perfectly. He knows what's going on in our lives. He's fully aware. And a part of that awareness is that he anticipates, waits for, and hears our prayers. Can you, again, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that the God of heaven wants to hear from you, from me? I'm just shocked by that, really. I gotta tell you, it's just overwhelming to me to imagine that the God of heaven cares to hear from me. But he does. And he says that he does. He promises that he's open to our prayers. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. He's watching. He's listening. So incredible. That is just amazing. Jesus told his disciples to use that power then. In the context of the upcoming trial and all the tribulations that were about to come upon Jesus and his apostles, he said in Luke 21, verse 36, keep on the alert at all times praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place. Well, that just applies perfectly, doesn't it? Be on the alert. Pray to have strength to face these trials. That's exactly what we're talking about. And so prayer is certainly an important part of this hedge building that God does for us. And we know as well that our brethren, our association in the Lord's church, is a part of that fence around us. This is a great resource, and, and I, I hope that we really appreciate it. Sometimes I think that we don't. We don't treasure it, we don't value it, and we don't even act carefully in regards to how we treat one another uh, as fellow Christians. Uh, we need to be careful. 
we need, we need to really nurture the relationship that we have because it is a great strength to us. It's a part of God's fencing around us to protect us. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, exhort one another daily while it is called day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And so we're supposed to exhort one another. And we need to allow that to happen. When, when, when I'm weak, I need to allow my brethren to come to me and strengthen me, exhort me, urge me on. I need that. Uh, and I need to be willing to accept. You know, unfortunately, one of the things that happens when people begin to struggle spiritually is what they do is they separate themselves from their brethren. They, they try not to even have contact with their brethren. Wow, that's, that's way wrong, right? If I understand that I'm spiritually weak, what I need to do is to see how close I can get to my brethren as a resource to strengthen me. Don't distance myself. Come closer. And, and of course, we're all urged. Hebrews 10, verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke and to love and good works. Do you think about your brethren? So maybe right now I'm not particularly weak, but I'm just kind of going along, just rolling on. But I've got brethren who are going through some trials. Have I thought about them? Have I thought about how I should be reaching out to them? Consider one another. How you doing? How am I doing? We should be aware of one another's spiritual struggles. We are commanded to provoke one another unto love and good works. First Thessalonians 5, verse 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. That's our duty. And we need to be doing it as brethren. Well, God does fence around us. Uh, he didn't deny that. When Satan said that to him about Job, God did deny. Yeah, I've got a hedge around Job. He's got a hedge around us, too. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Like we said, hedges are like fences. They're there to protect us. God has provided for us means of spiritual protection. It's wonderful that he's done it. And in large part, it's up to us to avail ourselves of it. His protections are there. We've got to use them. Are you using those protections as a child of God today? We're going to sing a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be asking you to think about your relationship with God. And if as a Christian you realize that you've let down and you haven't been strong, you haven't been faithful, you've let Satan get in. He got inside. He got inside the fence. He got you. And you fell. Throw him out again. Get that, get that fence built back around you that God promises. If you're a Christian and you have fallen, we, we urge you to come back to the Lord in repentance, confession, and prayer. If you need our prayers to be with you, we will do that. Let us know how we can help. If you're not a Christian yet, we urge you to make a decision to obey that simple gospel plan. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.